Hey everybody, it is episode 41 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas. As always, Steve, my co-partner in crime, is here with us. Hey Steve. Hello, podcast world. I am fired up about this topic. I'm going to have some fun today. And he's got a beer in front of him, which means we will all have fun today. (laughs) So we're going to be talking, we're going to kind of call this our fall marathon preview episode. We're going to take it in a couple of parts. The first part is we're going to do some fall race previews. So we're going to give you our predictions and what to watch for in Berlin and in Chicago, which are two big fall marathons coming up. And then the second half of this podcast, we're going to give you some tips for those that are racing fall marathons from Twin Cities to Portland to Chicago to New York and Philly and CIM later in the, in this, in the season. We want to give you some tips, some reminders on what to be thinking about as you prepare for your race. So there you go, Steve. Mm-hmm. Let's start with Berlin, because that'll be the first in the order that people see. Berlin happening at the end of September on, let's see if I get my calendar out, September 24th will be... Berlin Marathon Sunday. And when will this episode come out? This episode will come out for these. They'll listen to it the Monday before that. Sweet. So on the 18th. Perfect timing. So perfect timing. So Hopefully we won't be irrelevant by somebody dropping out or a <laughs> new right. edition or something else. I don't think so for this first one. No. So upcoming this Sunday, as you're listening to this, is the Berlin Marathon. Huge, huge race. We've already kind of teased it with the announcement that we made an episode or a couple episodes ago that Bekele was in this race. Huge, huge men's race. So we've got to start there. There's three guys to talk about in this race, all that have run under 204 and all with PRs within 10 seconds of each other. Kipchoge, of course, Elliot Elliot Kipchoge, the great one, winner of seven of his eight marathons. Wilson Kipsang, former world record holder, as it was before Dennis Cometto recently said it, and the only man to ever run four times under 204, which is insane. Then, of course, you have Bekele, Kinesia Bekele, who is both the 5K and 10K world record holder and has only run six seconds off the marathon world record himself, who is maybe the greatest distance athlete of all time. We'll save that debate for another day, (laughs) but certainly has had crazy success at all levels from track, world championships, Olympics, world indoors, world cross. He has won 23 global championship medals. So, I mean, this is it. This is like, you know, McGregor versus Mayweather, maybe. Yes. (laughs) In the running world, we haven't seen it. I think somebody made the comment that we hadn't seen anything like this since 2002 when we had... um, Khalid Kanuchi racing against Turgot and Geber Selassie. Funny, in that race, everyone was talking Turgot and everybody was talking Geb, and the unheralded completely, and you and I both agree on this one, dope, dope, dope to the gills Moroccan, who then became an American, st- stole it away from them. But that day, I, I remember I had sort of I had just come back to working back in the running world after a uh, uh, a wandering the world and um, doing other things. Um, and it was sort of like I hadn't been paying attention to track and field for a good four to five years. And I, I, I paid enough attention to know who Geb was and to know who Turgot was. And I knew who 
Kanuchi was because one of my former teammates had raced against him a few times, and he would tell me he's the guy's the guy's a stud and he'd run really well. But it was um, I, I, that race had such a galvanizing excitement for the fan base of what I was at Runtex. People were talking about it in the days and weeks preceding it. <clears throat> I think this. I, I'm paying way more attention now than I did before. This and this is even better. I mean, this this is Olympians, world record holders, all getting close to the top of their game, or maybe in some of their cases, as we'll argue, maybe Chris getting a little long in the tooth or a little over the edge. It's interesting to play that game. That's one of the one of the lines that that plays out here. I've, I think there's a couple of different lines we can take here, Chris. One is to discuss the three players, strengths and weaknesses. That's one way to go. Another thing we can do is talk about, is this going to be a race or is this going to be a world record? Because even up to yesterday, there was new stuff that came out. Kenny B, as I'm calling him now, Kenny B made a statement that sort of made me have to think twice about what my picks were. So I don't know which way you want to go first. Do you want to go through? Well, I want to start personally. I think we can get to the individual accolades at some point as we as we have this discussion. But for me, I want to start with the context because to me, in order to understand this race, you have to understand the history of these men facing each other. And for me, that goes back to 2003 Paris World Championships and perhaps the greatest world championship 5,000 meter race ever with Kipchoge, 18 year old Kipchoge facing off against Hichamel Garouge, still the mile world record holder, 1500 world record holder, versus Bekele, the w- who would be the 5K and 10K world record holder. I think many people will call Hichamel Garouge the greatest miler of all time. His track record certainly speaks for it. There, there are a few people who will argue with me about that, but we're talking different eras and different times. Nobody was on top for as long and had set as many records and done as much as he's done. So you had the best in the world of the 15, certainly at the time, and perhaps the best ever at the 15, moving up to the 5 against the greatest in the world at that point, for sure, in Kenanisi Bekele. Coming down to his shorter distance race at the 5K, these guys were going head-to-head, and this little pipsqueak who had just won World Junior Cross yep. is now in the final, and what a race. You said you just watched it recently. Give, us a, little, it. give us a little taste of what, of what you saw in that, in that, in so that race. So, first of all, more context. So, Garouge was doubling. Correct. Just like Bekele in that World Championships. He'd already won the 15. He was doubling back to the 5. Bekele had already run the 10, was doubling back to the 5. So the the storyline, the question, the debate for the pundits was which of those two guys is going to be you know, the great the greatest of the meet by getting that double gold. And and no one was mentioning Kipchoge. There was another Kenyan and I'm going to butcher his name who's sort of an unknown now in the race that had a better resume than Kipchoge and Kipchoge, 18 year old kid. Nobody was talking about him. In fact, the announcers didn't even know his name until they could clearly were searching for it in the final lap when he was still in the race. Such an embarrassment. So Kipchoge wasn't even in the storyline. The storyline was Bekele versus El Garouge and those two facing off to see who could double get double golds at that meet. And Bekele took it out hard from the gun, knowing that he had to burn off the kick of the faster miler. And so he went to the front and with with absolutely no fear started just clicking off 60 seconds sub 60 second laps. And and for another little bit of context too so people know 
um, who who may not have paid, who probably don't know that much about the sport or at least the 1500. Hisham El Garouche not only was the greatest 1500 meter runner at the time and perhaps of all time, but he had a very distinct racing style over the final 600 to 800 meters. He ran the race very similarly, nearly the same way every time, where he would do what what he would get to the front at about 600, 800 to go, and he would control the race, and he would not let anybody come by him. So Bekele knew that it very likely, given that that was his modus operandi, that that's what he was going to do. So he wanted to do everything he could possibly do to keep him from getting into that position. Right. He wanted to jettison him before that point. Correct. He wanted to and shake so the tree in the race, of the leaves. What happened in the race, which went incredibly fast and still to this day is the world rec- or is the world championship meet record. He did that, but it didn't work. Garouche was still in the mix with the 1,200 to a mile ago. And Bekele backed off as a result, knowing that he hadn't cracked him. So he had to save a little bit and try to win the kick. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of backed up things, bunched up again. And and then with 800 to go, like clockwork, Garouche <laughs> went to the front, started to make that long you know, kick, and tried to control the race with a lap to go. Five guys went with him. It was the four Kenyans plus... Well, four, yeah, five guys. Four Kenyans plus El Garouge plus Bekele in this final mix with two laps to go as the pack started to pull away. That front pack started to pull away. And to everyone's surprise, the guy running in second <laughs> was not Bekele. It was Kipchoge <laughs> in the mix right behind El Garouge, sitting right on his shoulder, making him do the work as if he also knew what was going to happen from a strategy standpoint. And Bekele started to stretch out a little bit. He'd done a lot of early work, and he, you know, he kind of cracked. So as they went into the last lap, he was, you know, Kipchoge was basically a meter behind El Garouge. Bekele was three or four meters behind, almost off the back, mm-hmm. with everybody else strung out behind that. And as they went into that final 150. Kipchoge came around El Garouge as he started to fade because of the such a long race and just literally outkicked the miler himself. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, El Garouge, if he had kept his feet about him in the final 10 meters, he kind of started to to swim, yes. <laughs> to swim yes, and stumble did. and stopped kind of letting his stride flow through. If he'd done that, he would have won because it was a photo finish at mm-hmm. the end. But Kipchoge... Smooth operator all the way to the line at 18, well, allegedly 18 years old. We all know that the Kenyans sometimes kind of fudge their ages a little bit, but he was a young one, certainly new to that global championship level, and beat the great El Garouge and the great Kenesia Bikele at their own game before anybody knew his name. And so to me, that's the context. These guys have history, and I wonder what it's like for the two of them, especially for Bikele. To look at little Kipchoge and think, man, this is the guy that stole my thunder back in 03. Now, the next year in Athens, El Garouge won the 5K, but Kaylee got second. So they got their revenge against Kipchoge in Athens the next year, who got bronze in the 5K. But there's some history with these guys, and I wonder how that plays out. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting... I, I think, though, one of the things that's changed since those early years is... There's been a big storyline change. Kipchoge sort of went away for a while, didn't have the same results. He was moving towards becoming a great marathoner in those years, you know, 
06, 07, 08, 09 when when Bikaley was unstoppable and beatable and was on top of the world. And then he came back. He's now. And then Bikaley over the last three to five years has sort of slipped, and uh, we didn't hear much from him. He got had, had a number of significant injuries and sort of fell off, off of ever, not necessarily nobody nobody that good. Nobody who would, people would consider the greatest of all time ever falls off everybody's radar. But there was just disappointment. Did he overextend his stay? Had he spent too much time um, doing the five k, ten k? Should he have moved up earlier? And at that time, Kipchoge then became the heir apparent for marathoning. Now, of course, the third guy here we're talking about was was the king of the marathon a little bit in the in-between. And he has, I think he won somewhere in the vicinity of 11 out of 12 marathons and a streak, too. And we, you know, you he's, talk won, of, he's won eight out of 12. Okay. And but there was a window where he had won like, a bu- like seven out of eight again, too. But he has now lost a few, one of which was last year, Berlin. So man, I mean, it, we could spend an entire episode on this. Well, that's the thing this. is like these guys, they have history together. So Kip Sang, who's sort of the unsung hero of this group, he doesn't get the same recognition as the other two, but has a pretty legit resume. He's the only guy to ever beat Kipchoge in a marathon in Berlin in 2013 by almost a minute when he set the world record at 203.23 back in the day. And then, of course, last year, as you referenced, Bekele's a defending champion. He beat Kipsang, Wilson Kipsang, in Berlin last year in 2016, finishing finishing first and nearly setting the world record. You know, Bekele ran 203.03 last year in Berlin. So there's history between all these guys. And to me, that's as much a part of this storyline as trying to get a world record or who wins this race is that, you know, both, you know, these guys have beaten each other and and back and forth. So it's not like there's one dominant figure in this mix that's sort of beating beating everybody. It's like everybody has some scalps in this trio. And if you look at it, it's interesting to me. I think it's most interesting to look at the marathon credentials for these three. If you want to try to, I agree suss with out. you. I, you if, otherwise, you're gonna overly. You're going to give Kenny B too much credit, right? Right, yeah. yeah. If you're going to suss out kind of how this is going to play out in terms of race sample, you got to look at marathon credentials. We know Kipchoge. He's run two hours and 25 seconds on a paced scenario with the Nike Breaking 2 project. He's won seven out of eight marathons, although major marathons, although the one he lost was Berlin to Kipsang. Wilson Kipsang, as I said, he's won eight out of 12 marathons, been on the podium three other times. So 11 out of 12, he's been in the mix for the win. He's also, as I said, the only guy who's run under 204, not just once, twice, but four times. And he was a former world record holder. And then you have Bikaley, who his resume is deep when it comes to non-marathon events. As I said, he's won 23 global world championship level medals. 20 of those gold, by the way. But with the marathon, his results are mixed. He's he's only he's raced seven major marathons. He's DNF'd twice. He's got five finishes. Of the five finishes, he's won two of those. So two out of five. And he's been on the podium a couple other times, and he has a fourth-place finish. So his marathon resume isn't that good, especially as you compare it to the other two guys. So with that as context, Steve... Let's get your picks, and then I'll give you mine. All right. So 
I, I think, well, before I give you my picks, I want to discuss world record versus race because okay. I think that that's an important part of the a part of Are what they going to go for it? About what might happen here. Um, because I, I am trying to think. So I saw an article that came out. I saw it today. I don't know if it came out yesterday or whatever, where somebody quoted Bikaley as saying he's targeting, quote, just the world record. Um, and so I didn't know. And it was the way it was said. And he said that he was prepared to run 20130. So, but the way that it was written, the way that it was written from a website in, um, somebody took it from a press con- an early press conference for this, for this race, and um, it was stated maybe in the context that Bekele said that his, his focus is at this point in time in his career on just the world record, and that he believes he's prepared before he retires to run 201.30, which sounds a lot more in alignment with what Kenanisi has been, he's never been a big talker. He's never been an overstater. He's always been somebody who um, sort of is a, is quiet about what he thinks he's going to do. So I think that this was a little bit of a misquote and maybe not quite, but it did take me back for a second and said, if if Ken, if Bekele's just focused on the world record, we know Kip Sang would like to win, but his best strategy is to run as fast as possible and hopefully go for the world record himself. And Kipchoge just, he's stated multiple times that Berlin was going to be his place to go for the world record. So at this point in time, the only person we don't have definitive statements saying they're going to go for a world record is Kip saying who we pretty much as a former world record holder <laughs> wants to win a world record. Yeah. So here we have three guys who seems to be at least stated or, um, unstated aim is to set the world record, it creates an incredibly complicated and unusual way of looking at this race. Because if you said this is just going to be a foot race between all three of them, this is my picks. My initial pick would be Kipchoge for the win because the man knows how to win. I would put Kip Sang in second because I think Kip Sang will make the race go fast enough that Bekele might not be able to hold it, right? But then I sat back and thought, okay, but Kip Sang had Bekele on the ropes last year in the same race on the same course doing the same tactics. Bekele backed off, as he's been known to do occasionally, regrouped, gathered himself, didn't wait for a chink in the armor from Kip Sang, but just roared back, got up on Kip Sang, and got away from him over the last bit and beat him by 10 seconds. So then I had to think, okay, but that's not what's going to happen. These guys are going to all supposedly go for the world record. So if I think that that's what's going to happen, I'm actually going to change my picks. So I think this race, the way it's going to play out is like this. There's going to be no communication through the three and the three of them. They're going to sit around and look at each other for the first mile, two miles. Kip saying we'll just go to the front do the work if Kipchoge hasn't already decided from the gun to go for the world record, right? And Bekele ain't going for no world record. <laughs> Bekele might get a world record, but he ain't going to go for a world record. And so now you've got like two tenet- two guys going out. I-, I think what's going to happen is Kenanesi Bekele is going to win this race. Wow. I'm going Kenny B for the win. He needs it more than anybody else needs it. I think 
Kipchoge's tired. There are rumors out there that Kipchoge is more tired from his two-hour assault than we know. Kipsang has been beaten by Bekele. Bekele knows how to beat him. And Kipsang's going to run a race that will be not very different from what happened a year before. And I think Bekele's fit and ready to go. He didn't run the world champs on purpose, even after making a bunch of noise about the year before being left off the team and not running. Which, And I think Bekele is going to want to cement and to prove. And if he wins this race, in my opinion, if he wins this race in a world record, drop the mic, he could walk away. <laughs> it's over. Any argument that Kennedy C. Bekele is not the greatest marathoner of all time will be ended by him winning Berlin in a world record. I don't think he will walk away. I think he'll take a couple of paydays down the road. But I think the way the race is going to play out, two guys are going to burn each other up. One in Kipchoge, who I have eminent belief in, fresh. He came off an Olympic gold medal. He went after a crazy time and yeah he's been set up to where his body might be able to hand it but i'm hearing rumors that he might not be at 100 percent gamesmanship steve games gamesmanship. could be could be <laughs> very much could be so that's my pick for the win is kenny b okay. I, I think if they're all together at the end of the race i think i do think that bikaley will find a way to win i don't think kipchoge has the same closing speed if kipchoge is going to win he's going to do it 5k out 10k out if they're all three together or two of them are together and Kenny B's with them with 800 meters to, for 800 meters to a mile to go, it's over. Kenny B's going to win. So Kenny B for the win. Kipchoge in second. I think he'll hang on. I think Kip, Kip Sang is going to be a bit of a sacrificial lamb. The bonus is, is the world record broken? And I say the world record will be broken because I think all three are going to go for it and they won't blow up. So I think Kenny B will walk away with the world record and a win. That is my picks. I know I'm blowing Chris's mind. Chris has grabbed his <laughs> headphones. He's about to throw wow. them on the ground. He's like, I can't believe you just called it that way. Wow. Wow. I'm, sh now I, now I'm pretty sure I know how you're going to call it. <laughs> Unbelievable um, that you would go against your man. That'll be interesting. If it plays out that way, you're right. But Kaylee can sort of hang him up and say, look, I did it. I broke the world record, and I, I did that against the stiffest competition in the history of marathoning. Now, Kipchoge also has that need for that world record because he doesn't have it. It's the one thing he is missing right now. He's to be hungry. To be I absolutely yeah. agree. But, dude, we have no idea physiologically what two hours did to him. Did to him. We and don't. It, and, we it don't. May be, and it may be, and it may be that the, the word coming out is smoke and mirrors and gamesmanship and everything else. But we know, he, we know you saw him over the last... 2k of that race there was absolutely nothing left he did not die he is he is crucial that way right but i i again this race it was hard to call it but i just think uh i think kenny b has more to race for and he has had less accolades and he ne he needs this interesting interesting and he hasn't raced in a while we don't really know where he is we so. don't and to me you know, that to me is sort of the linchpin of this whole thing is where is he really? Mm -hmm. He raced in London, got second, which by all accounts is solid, but in only 205.57, close to 206, which is a far cry from 203 or sub 203. So my I'm banking on the fact that I think Bekele has run his fastest marathon already. Yeah, Berlin was his last year was his oh three Berlin yeah. last year to me that was his best shot at getting a world record I don't think he's going to run that again 
I think his teeth are too long at this point. So I'm going to go with what I thought you might have predicted, even though that's not why I'm picking (laughs) it. But Kipchoge, the man, because I don't think he would race if he wasn't ready. And he just wins. You know, when it comes to the marathon, he just wins. And physiologically, we know he can run a sub 203 because we've seen him run a lot faster than that. Yes, we have. And in a paced race at at Berlin, which, by the way, the last six world records for the men have come from Berlin. So this is a fast, fast course, fast race. I'm picking Kipchoge, Kipsang Bikaili. I think Kipsang benefits in this case because he'll have somebody else to do the work. You don't think Bikaili's going to be there when the real race? I don't the, think the, he's going to be there when it there. really happens. So that makes total sense that I you would think pick he's it that be way. There. And I think Kipsang will benefit from the fact that he'll be able to chase Kipchoge because Kipchoge won't be afraid to do work. Whereas in the past, Kipsang's been the one that's had to do the work oftentimes in his efforts. So I think Kipchoge and Kipsang break the world record. Bikaili does not, and Kipchoge gets the win. Yep, it's uh, that's my prediction. I, I'm not, I'm not surprised at that, and I think that that's a great prediction. I mean, I think that that's, that's probably the way the odds betters would play it all out. But um, what happens if Kenny B doesn't get pushed off, and with three miles or four miles to go, he's still there? Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, I hope that happens because yes. then it'll be amazing television. I mm-hmm. hope I'm wrong. Because to see all three, of them I think it's going to be a wonderful be race. Awesome. Even in your scenario, I think it's going to be a wonderful race between Kipchoge and Kipsang. I just unfortunately don't think. I think we haven't seen Kipsang win a tight one, so I, I you know, and uh, Kipchoge's won many tight ones, <laughs> yep. many many tight ones, and and uh, Bikaili beat Kipchoge a year ago. I think I think Bikaili has been targeting this race since. Um, since last year. Yeah, so we will see. So there's, there you go. There's our predictions. But, but people, this is going to be happening while you're sleeping, potentially. Find a way to follow it or at least to look up the results and find a replay. They'll be out there. Even if you're a fringe fan, this, this is going to be one to pay attention to. It could to. be the greatest conglomerate, greatest put together three, three best marathoners ever running I mean, three best marathoners at the height of their powers racing against each other. We're not going to see the likes of it because this sport is not known, especially in in high-level marathoning with the number of majors and how they come with rapidity and big paydays. Um, You're not going to see it again, which is why we won't see Rupp in this race. Right. (laughs) So, okay, so that's the men's side of Berlin. Let's talk women's side probably much quicker because it was it's clear to me that they kind of invested their (laughs) appearance fee money in the men's race on this one but still a decent and pretty you know decently stacked women's field you've got two kenyans and four ethiopian athletes sort of battling for the win six women that i think have a chance in this one although honestly it's a little bit tricky i would say other than ayabe the one kenyan the other ones, it's been a little while since we've seen a big result or at least a PR result. So to me, this one was harder to kind of digest and predict. And some of these names aren't names that you often hear, right? They're kind of, they're not your Kiplagats, 
<laughs> and your debabas of the world, so to speak. So you've got a little bit more homework to dig into this field. What are your thoughts on the women's field first before we get to predictions? I mean, I think that uh, the women run these marathons in such a different way. You know, they they uh, there's not as much gamesmanship. There's there's not as much strategy. Um, with the big three on the men's side, it's going to play out in a different way than normal. But I think with this race, you pretty much just have to look out and say, okay, what what are last races? What are last performances? What are big performances and who shows up on race day? I mean, I think there are like five women who have gone under 223. So that means that really at that point, in time, maybe even more, but the, the, at that point, anybody can win. Um but I think you've got a known winner and you've got a person in this race who, to me, when I look at it, I'm just like, there's your winner. I don't even know if I can pick two to three because I think it'll be potentially different people. Um, but ultimately, in my opinion, I think you're going to see uh, Gladys Chirono in a position where she's just head and shoulders above everybody else. And uh, the only person is the Kenyan girl. I can't remember what her name is. The, the Kenyan girl who won last year. What's her name? Uh, well, last year it was Ethiopian Kibiti. Oh, yeah, Kibiti. That's what Kibiti. I meant. The Kibiti was won in a really striking way, and we haven't seen her really since. And so, I, I think that they could have a great race. But I just think Chirono, not only does she run faster than everybody, but she's been in big races and she's won big races. Not that Kibiti's win at Berlin last year wasn't big, but I just think Chirono's going to have the stuff to get it done. Um, how the race plays out, I'll be honest with you. My focus has been on Berlin to this. I paid way more attention to the women's race at Chicago than I did at Berlin. I just think that it is against somebody who's run the race and, and won the race versus the old hat, who's still not that old. I don't. She's not even, I think she's like 32 or something. So it's not like she's really old. I just think Toronto is going to be the better. One thing you have to remember is about this race for our listeners is that Berlin is a paced race. So they're going to have pacers. The intent is to go fast. With Chicago, it's not a paced race, so it'll be very different dynamic. And I think in paced races, typically the fittest athlete on paper can win or typically wins. In a race, you never know because tactics come into play. So, you know, so that's where things get interesting. I, I'm not so sure, to be honest, on Gladys Chirono. I mean, she she won this race in Berlin in in 2015, but you looked at her result in Boston this year and in tw- you know 2017, and what did she do there? It wasn't what I even think I predicted her in that. I think you kind did. Of I think podium you had her. And, yep. and then she kind of she fell on, she fell on her face a little bit. So I'm not convinced that she's gonna be ready to roll. So I actually had, you know, I'll go first on this one. I think, you know, my predictions are a little bit different. I think this one's a bit of a, God, I want I want to say crapshoot between these six women, you know, really maybe between four of them. I'm going to go with the the younger Kenyan, Irabi for the, Irabay for the one, for the win. She won Prague earlier this year. And as we saw in the world championships, you know, with those that 
one Boston having good success mm-hmm. and Prague being a little bit earlier than Boston. I think I'm going to go with the horse that had the best most recent race and uh, Ayabe won Prague and even though it was a little bit slower 223 she's a little bit younger athlete and I think just proving her potential. So I'm going to go with her for the win. I'm going to go with Kabidi for second defending champion and Chirono for third. So she still makes the podium but isn't quite where she wants where she wants to be. So how does that compare to I I'm going Chirono, Kabidi and then um Valerie Ayebe. So your winner, I'm just flipping them, right? So Okay. We're we're putting two at the same spot, but the the one and the three, the sandwich of Kenyans, we've got different Kenyans in different spots. All right. Well, there you go. We'll I mean, have, we'll, we'll have of to course, Ayebe's run 221, so it's not like she's some kind of schlub. She's not. <laughs> to be clear, she's not. Yeah. So there you go. That's the women's race. Now let's turn to Chicago. And since you were just mentioning your excitement about the women's race in Chicago, let's start there. Since we started with the men in Berlin, break down the women's field for Chicago for us. So this one is like, I don't know, it's going to be, in a lot of ways, it's going to be this giant, it's going to be a big argument of the old versus the new, but the the new is still old, right? So the old being Florence Kiplagat, whose best year, who ran a 219 in 2011. Like, I mean, we were talking about Bekele and Kipchoge and, and they're running in, you know, 2003, but they weren't marathoning at this point. This is many, right. many years of many multiple marathons ago she ran that time but she's still a known quantity who knows how to get it done and races and the defending champion by the way correct and knows how to race well so and i think that and then you've got the new who's really old and that's in tiranesh dababa who just ran the 10k at the world championships got second to superwoman um and a woman that was not going to be beaten at 10,000 meters by many many men so <laughs> right, uh, no, right. one, no one was going to beat her so i and i think based on watching that race and you know you and i talked about this in our 10k post race how dababa looked a lot like she had sort of not chased ayana on that day ayana being the woman who did actually run away and win the women's 10,000 meter championship at the u.s at the world championships i think dababa's been playing her paydays just right Unlike unlike Bikele, she did her duty to her country and ran her ten thousand meters. Yeah. And Bikele, who talked a big smack about doing it and being willing to go fight for his his country at any point in time, didn't actually do it. Not sure what the myriad of reasons are there for there, but he didn't. And I think Dababa, and so you've got these two poles. I think when you look at this race, um, and they are the two women who are light years ahead of everybody else in terms of what they've actually done and their competitiveness. Um, to keep in mind for everyone, Dababa ran 217. She ran under 218 at London in 2017. So yep. this year. So yep. it, it, it's not like we're talking about the new as being someone who's not who's unproven. This is somebody who has absolutely gotten it done at the highest level. She didn't win that race, right? She was second, wasn't she? To, she got second. To who? Who was it that won that? I can't remember who won that race. But anyway, she's 
I think that this has been a part of her plan for a while. She, too, is looking for um, her best effort, unfortunately. I mean, at this point in time, world records are on the books for the women as well, right? So because the world record is um, the one that the one that's so fast is really not there anymore, right? So the 215 is no longer on the books. Is that correct? Right. So I think you could be looking at a world record attempt here as well. Um, if she had pacers, that's the part that I don't quite understand. To me, this race is interesting because the Baba seems so far above everybody else. You know, so it'll be interesting to me to see her strategy. Does she just go off the front? And that will be the race to me. That will be the race is if she goes off the front, um, then she is not a foregone conclusion that she will win, but it's a foregone conclusion that the TV coverage will be really bad because there'll be nothing to talk about until the final two to three miles in which uh, Florence Kiplagat and a little tiny blonde-haired girl who comes from Southern California <laughs> could suddenly, in Jordan Hesse, could suddenly come to the fore because of a hard press for that. So I honestly think if this race plays out the way I think it will, Tiranesh will sit and wait for a little bit and then push off the front and run away, kind of like Edna Kiplagat did at Boston, right. and, and make it a done deal and try to get away at 18, 16, 18, or 20, and then try to run away. And we may see a replay for... Jordan where she's got the opportunity to be in a big in a big game race and what has changed for her we haven't seen um, any big time races from her although we did see a really solid pretty substantive win from her at uh, New Haven 20k um, this past uh, 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 now a couple weeks ago so she's ready to roll she's ready to go is she in 220 shape can she run that fast um, that's the big question for Jordan is is really, is she going to be in a position to do that? The rest of these ladies, there's an argument for almost none of them other than those three. <laughs> and, and I think there's some, of, some people who might actually say there's an argument that, that there's no argument for Jordan, but I just think she's cagey and smart. I, was, I, I think you too, Chris, we were, both, I was, we were just absolutely impressed with her Boston performance. And so... I don't put her out of it. You know what I mean? I don't put her out of it. I think that uh, that there's a chance there. So you tell me how you think the race will play out. What do you think the well, kinds of the way the races are going to, the way this I mean, thing will so roll? I think, you know, you've kind of teed it up. You've got Dababa, who's head and shoulders above from a PR standpoint. And, you know, she demonstrated she's got this 10K speed already at Worlds, getting the silver there. In London, you've got Kip Lagat, who's sort of the veteran. She won last year. But really because it ended up being a little bit of a slower race. And, you know, she played her cards right at the end. You've got Jordan Hesse, the new up-and-coming young American who you know, shows promise. And then that's kind of it. I tend to think that the Baba will sit back a little bit, kind of let the race play out for maybe 15 miles, maybe even 17 miles, 18 miles, and then just go. And then it'll be it. It'll be over from a, from a first place standpoint mm -hmm. and then Hesse and Kiplagat will be battling it out for second and maybe you'll have another face in there you know Kip Katir from Kenya is another one you've got this Mexican athlete in the race Perez who's run a 222 in Chicago but it was a long time ago I, I, you know, I don't think she's, yeah, she's going to be in the mix so anyway so I think it's 
It's going to be SA versus Kiplagat for second and third. And in this case, I like Jordan. Yep. So to me, it's the Baba runs away with it first place. Hesse wins the battle for second. And Kiplagat rounds out the podium in third. So that's my, uh, that's my intellectual pick. Um, the question is, will Dababa chase a world record on a super fast course that she's obviously prepped and ready for? She run 217. She's close to that. She had a pace race before, but this is a person who knows how to, is a controlled runner who knows how to get it done. If she goes for it and she falters, it, she's going to falter badly. <laughs> Um, but the thing is, if she's on pace to run, you know, 217 low, 216, she's even dying, missing it, getting it wrong. We're talking about a four to five minute miss. No and way. there's no way that no Jordan way. is going to be close enough yeah. to be able to pick that off. So I think that in, in, I do think that that's an interesting scenario, no one ever wants to see somebody dying. And Tiranesh has a last name um, that says the word savvy and knows how to race. Let's just take Genzebi out of the picture, who, uh, other, who, who, has, who was a bit of a jack wagon when it comes to racing. Uh, but but Tiranesh is arguably the greatest. Before Ayana, she was the best 10K, five, 10K runner of all time on the women's side. Um, and so I think she's cagey. She's smart. She's going to run a right race. She's going to win. I think Jordan's going to get second, and I think uh, Kip Bogat will get third. I'm I'm picking it exactly the same way you do, but I'm interested to see if if Dababa will go for it. I hope she does, just for the case of seeing um, if that happens. Um, the problem is, as you stated, Chris, uh, it 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 they d Chicago has been trumped by strategically in this race on both the men's and the women's races, but in the women's especially from turning at something into an amazing, crazy psycho amazing. They could have had the Berlin of Berlin here by positioning a few months of the, getting some of those women like a Chirono and the other ones who were running in Berlin and brought them to this race if they could have done it. But the fact that they've chosen to, to get on their high horse about not providing pacers um, on a race course that's super flat and that can have problematic wins and problematic scenarios for running super fast. I just think that Chicago is um, not made a good choice here. Um, but we're about to talk about the men's race, and in that case, it changes things. So it's so it's kind of interesting. Yeah. The other thing I would say about this women's race is that that spot, the third podium spot, could be wide open depending on what happens with Kiplagat and the form that she's on. So, you know, you're going to look for Lisa Waitman, potentially from Australia, coming in to potentially snag a podium spot. You've got, I mean, on a good day, Becky Wade, who we've talked about in the 20K, finished fourth recently in the 20K. You know, her PR is slow in the context of this group, but depending on how the race plays out, she could be in the mix if she has a breakthrough to get a podium spot, which would be really exciting to that see. That would be so awesome to see. So I do think... The, the more interesting races to watch as a fan are second and third and then third and fourth to who you know to see who gets that those last two podium spots on the women's side 
All right, let's turn to the men's. Galen Rupp's big ma world major coming out party. To this point, he's raced at the Olympic trials. He's raced at Rio, but never a world major, major marathon. No, he ran well, Boston. Boston, sorry. He ran Boston. So this is his second world major. I'm losing my mind over here. Second world major after Boston and got second in Boston. I believe you picked him for the win, if I, if I, I did. If I, I remember I, correctly, I, but he ran stupidly. into the buzzsaw that is Jeffrey Karui. And then I and then I didn't pick Karui again for the marathon, but yeah. again, I won't make... Now, that would be fun at Berlin to have Karui there, but it would be... That's just yeah. no way. Yeah. yeah, right. I'd pick so, him for the win. End but, of story. But as, we, as we talked about a couple episodes ago, this is a pretty thin men's field. You have added... The uh, Rio Olympic silver medalist for Yisa Lalisa to the mix now. And you've got last year's winner in Abel Karui from Kenya, as well as Rupp. And then Dennis Kamato, sort of by name at least, the current world record holder is here, although he hasn't had a decent race since 2014. So this is another one that's kind of interesting. It's a fairly thin front group. Last year, the race went out really slowly for the men, even slower than the women, which allowed kind of Abel Karui to get that win. So how do you think Rupp plays this one? You know, because to me, part of the reason why you do a Chicago is to prove that you can run faster than his current PR, which is a 209.58 from Boston. So, you know... But if you look at the field, there's not a lot of other guys that are going to be doing work to push the pace. So, I, I think that you know, I, I the the conspiracy theorist in me is like, who sponsors Abel Karui? <laughs> right. Because if he's sponsored by Nike, there very well may be a pacer in this race. So, ah, you know what I mean? And I I, I don't I don't certainly Cometo is not going to Cometo. I know is 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 Adidas, and I know that Cometo is. Uh, he, while he's past his prime, he's certainly thumping his chest and looking for a big race. And I think Cometo will. Um, he's not Cometo's not known for uh, winning big races. He's known for running fast. Unlike Kipsang, who's been known to win big races and be in the mix with big racing. You know, Cometo and Kipsang are birds of a different feather. And so I think Cometo maybe there's a you know it, it not being sponsored by you know having Adidas athlete against a Nike athlete. There's no way that somebody's setting something up for somebody. Um, but it could be that, that that play gets played. I just don't, I've never seen Galen run a race ever where he's gone to the front from the beginning and make it happen. So I just don't see a, a, a change to that. I think they're looking for their win. I think they're looking for their, to get their win. And this is a dangerous game. This is a dangerous game for Galen because, Karui's a known quantity who knows how to run fast and get the job done. He's also run, to this point, I mean, he's run four minutes faster. And he's running against another guy who's run seven minutes faster. And, he's, and he's won a race in the race last year that started slowly and Correct. Closed, closed fast. I, I think this is a real dangerous play for Rupp. Um, now, I'm a little more encouraged by the race result that he got at, the, at, at New Haven. I think that him running in a tight race and out kicking and staying the, the course is good. I see a lot of danger things, but the one thing that's going to tip my hat is that Galen is going to be incredibly well prepared for this race. They have a plan. They have a reason why they're doing what they're doing. We don't necessarily aren't on, in on it, and we don't know what it is. 
no matter how it plays out, I just don't see how Galen Rupp gets beat here. So I think that I think that he I think it could be interesting. I think it could be a challenge and it might not go to script the way that Alberto thinks it's going to go. Um, who knows how many people Alberto is coaching anymore, but the one thing we know for sure is he's coaching this guy. He's coaching Rupp, and we know for sure he's coaching Hesse. Those two I'm certain of. Whether he's coach, whether Pete Julian's coaching all the rest of those cats or who was doing what and what's happening, who knows. But we know his these two marathoners are definitely under his tutelage. There's a plan in place. I trust that plan. Not that I'm a super fan of Alberto's. I just think that they're, they've got a good plan, and I think, I think Rupp's going to get away with the win. I think he's going to win the thing. Um, and then I think Karui's going to get second. I think uh, those two could be nip, nip and tuck, and it could very well be like we saw at New Haven where it, it, it's that close. But I think Rupp will find a way to win it. Um, and then I kind of look around and say, will Cometo, what will Cometo do? Because this is the guy in this race that is sort of throws a, a wrench in the whole affair because he's so fast. And it's not like he's so far away from his very prime. I mean, he's, you know, three years away from his best, which, as we know, looking at Bekele, we would have said three years ago, Bekele's never going to come back ever again. We're never going to see him. And then he runs 20303 at, 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 at Berlin. So is Cometo ready to go? It, it, yet to this day, he has not really shown other than other than that. I think right? we know what he's going to do. He's going to DNF like he has in all of his <laughs> last races. Yeah. You know, to me, the thing that gives Rupp the edge, and I've got him for the win as well, is that there's nobody in this race that can gear change late that will put him on the edge. You knew, you know, Karui could do it because he did it in Boston. You know, Kipchoge could do it because he did it at the Olympics. But nobody in this race can suddenly drop a time a 4:30 mile in, in at mile 20 and gap rub. So he's going to be in it till the end. Nobody's going to get away from him. Or I think he's going to take the win as well and then it just becomes a question of who can get second and is Lalisa who got silver in Rio is he on form? Has he been able to stabilize his training situation after getting exiled from his country in Ethiopia? See that's that's my worry. That's or my not. worry. I, I I didn't even he'll be you know, he's a Olympic silver medalist. He's beaten Rupp head to head in a big race. But he's had a lot of drama in his life right now. And and I don't know how well he'll I saw a picture of Chris Chavez and him. I don't know if you saw that one after he announced that he was going to run the race. And he looks like an old man. He looks tired. He looks, he looked, this was just him in regular standing around clothes, right? Running shirt, but standing around clothes. And it just looks tired to me. And I worry about that. The one guy that's in this mix, Chris, that we haven't talked about yet, is a guy who was only 10 seconds behind Rupp. Sam Chalanga. Is Sam Chalanga. He's, he was not that far behind. It's hard when you're in marathon training to shift gears. Sam hasn't been done marathon training so he could be dealing with a lot of what happens when those first judicial marathoners hit that first they don't have the ability to to, to shift and get away sam could be in there sam so could be in there so could chris derrick who's making his debut well, this is the other this is the other line of discussion that i want to talk about with this race because while we have a very lackluster front end uh, in terms of what we call world major marathon we have a significantly interesting kick-ass fun U.S. race in this race. Yep. We've got Chris Derrick in his debut, Sam Chalanga for all intents and purposes in his debut, Bumbleo 
who ran la- ran this past year early at Tokyo, and I think he ran 213, who probably, knowing his coaches, was cagey and gaming it to be maybe 85% effort run. You know, as we talk about, that it could be entry level, that there was a plan to do something like that. I think Bumbleo and think Chris Derrick and Bumbleo trained together on a consistent basis. They've been locked and loaded. Schumacher's obviously got his marathon game going right now because he had Craig win a medal at the World Championships. I think that um, what we could see on the back end of this race, I don't think these guys are going to challenge Rupp in the race, and I think the race is going to go slow enough that Rupp will get away and make it and he'll win it. But I'm super interested in these guys. There's also another guy in here. He ran last year at Chicago. He's not an American. He's a Kenyan. Steven Sambu. I watched him run in college. This guy's kind of like Chalenga. He's a sneaky teeny tiny little Kenyan sneaky dude who also could be in the mix. He's only run 213, but he's but he's definitely a sub 210 marathoner if not faster. And what do you think the time is going to be at this race, Chris? You think they're going to run 208? Maybe 209, well, 208, last 209. Well, won in 210 high on a very very slow race. I mean, I remember you and I were watching the race crazy. and the lead men came through and then not too Far behind that was, you know, the second pack of guys who weren't even supposed to be close. Exactly. (laughs) And And we were like, what happened? Did they take a wrong turn? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, does something look off? So, you know, I think it's going to be probably 209, 30 or so. I I think it won't be super fast, but I think it'll get going enough at the end, sort of like Boston, where they'll get at least under 210 this time. Um, You know, you got me thinking about Lalisa. You know, he could be Nike's sacrificial lamb here to say, all right. There you go. We need you in the field because it legitimizes the field. Yep. But Showed and, up late. And and we'll give you the payday because yep. you, we know you need the payday. Yep. But, we, you know, we're not worried that you're going to ruffle feathers, but you'll at least make Rupp's win look more legit. Now I'm worried about that as the scenario. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, to me, it's Rupp, Lalisa. If he's on form, I think he gets second. And then Karui gets third. But... I do think you've hit on the fact that the more interesting part of this race might be what happens to the other Americans. Because I do think that Bumbleo, Chalanga, Derek, Noah Drotti. Noah Drotti's in his he's debut. He's going to be debuting Excited about here. that. Yep. Luke Pascadra, who's, who's another this, guy. Who's a known quantity who gets it done. 210 and gets it done. Yep. I think all of those Americans are going to be in the mix, at least for the first 16, 18 miles until this race really takes off. So... That's going to be interesting, and so it'll be fun to have a bunch of U.S. names in that group. I don't think any of those guys will have the staying power. You know, for me, Chalanga, yeah, he raced well at the 20K, but he's been training more for the 10K and the 20K distance. I'm not sure he's ready to go up. He's already DNF once in a marathon, which is hard to kind of come back from. I'm not worried about him kind of making too big of waves for the podium, but I do think it's interesting to see some of those Americans, and if somebody does something crazy chris Derrick could be the guy um because you know i've learned he's your wild card he's my wild card because <laughs> i've learned not to doubt jerry schumacher and his yeah. ability to get people ready no matter what history they have so anyway that those are my three rup lalisa karui i think that's your podium in some order but if lalisa is just here to punch his ticket and get a payday then it's wide open for that third spot. What are your picks? Rupp, Karui, Chalanga. 
Ah, you've got Tolanga on the Ponga. Yes. Podium. Yes. He's your wild card. He's my wild but I but I'm picking him. Pick and I, I am interested in the back end. I think uh I think I'm really interested to see what Bumbleo does. I'm super Bumbleo's so wheelie and so fast. I worry that he's moved to the marathon too soon. But I would love to see he's a guy who can run 207, 206. He's got the skill set, you know? Chris Derrick is a fast guy. He's a marathon. He, he uses good good mechanics and good energy for the marathon. But but he's been in such a tough spot over the last few years in terms of his race performances where Bumbleo has shown some things. So I'm, I'm really excited for Chicago to see what happens with that pack and see those guys. And they're running in sort of a uh, a preview of the Olympic trials a couple years from now. And, and sort of the, the guys who we think are going to be the major players going into the Olympic trials will be showing up here and it'll be fun to see how that all plays out. So excited for that. That's a good point. Trials qualifiers will be on the line for these folks. So there you go. There's Chicago hoping that Rupp can get his first major marathon win he's got the he had the win at the olympic trials last year against u.s competition we'll see if he can finally do it against we'll put international competition in quotes there because <laughs> this isn't a full <laughs> international field it doesn't have the stable of kenyans and ethiopians you might expect but a win in chicago is still would still be a big win for an american so there you go folks over the next couple weeks you've got berlin coming up this coming sunday chicago the the Sunday, I guess two Sundays later, happening at uh, it, on the October eighth, that uh, first full weekend in Chicago. Watch, and you'll be able to you should be able to catch to Chicago after you wake up on your Sunday morning. Before we end this, as I said, we want to kind of cover the the second chapter of this will be helping you all prepare if you're getting ready for a fall marathon. For some key reminders, some things to think about as you prepare for your races, as we've talked about these elite races. And we want to do that in sort of a fun fashion we use for a previous, previous talk, not a podcast, but a previous talk on marathon prep. We used this, I don't even remember what, what well, race it was, before, it was for. It was before fall marathons, before Chicago 2016. Okay, so yeah. appropriately so about a year ago. timed. So about, about a year, a year ago. ago, we used this similar talk. So now we'll be sharing it with the world. We kind of shared famous last words that we hear all the time from athletes who don't get their goals in marathons. We hear these words said too many times. And so we want to repeat them to you so that you can not make the same mistakes that some of our athletes have made in getting ready to achieve their goals, especially as it relates to these races coming up. So with that, Steve... I'm going to let you kick it off. We can just kind of alternate on a, on a handful of these. What's your famous, maybe your most favorite, famous last words from athletes that you get post-race? Okay, so I'm going to start off since we're going to start early on in the race process. So before the race gets started, I love this one. The quote is, I found the cutest outfit to race in at the expo, but now my thighs are bleeding. So that being a quote, basically, hey, plan your gear out beforehand. Make sure you've run and all the stuff that you're going to race in. Don't go to the expo, wander around and find just the perfect pair of shoes or these socks that you've never used before. Guys, this, this might seem like a really basic thing, 
But for some of you who might be making a marathon debut or are or, or haven't heard or haven't been down the road, this is more of a kind of what we might call a rookie mistake. We're trying to keep the rookies from making a rookie mistake here. Just be sure that you've tested all your gear out. You've dotted your I's, you've crossed your T's in terms of what you're going to wear. You've used it in a final run or two, and if you haven't been able to use it in your final race prep workout, which should be coming up or about or or may have already happened, to at least have gotten a 10 or 12-mile run in the things that you're going to be racing in. And that includes your shorts, your shirt. Make sure you got your nip guards on, gentlemen. Uh... Make sure your shoes are the ones that you've tested them out. You've already purchased them and you got them. Another one of these, another version of this is it's a week before my race. Oh my God, my shoes are dead. What do I do? Well, you know, it's very hard in this day and age to actually pick out a brand new pair of shoes and run in them the first time in a marathon. You're going to, you're going to be in a, bit, a whole lot of pain. So the plan, the idea behind this famous last words is basically prepare, 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 get your things out, execute a couple runs and all the stuff that you're going to wear in your race and be sure that you're ready to go so that you have the chance so you don't have the problem of making a stupid mistake and having a gear malfunction or an equipment malfunction be the end of your race. And many of you, especially if you're doing Chicago, New York, you're going to have some long runs between now and then. And they may not be 20 milers if you're doing Chicago. It might be a 10 miler or a 12 or 14 miler. But you've got long runs where you have a chance to practice this stuff. Use the gear, do a dress rehearsal, use the gear you're going to use on race day and make sure it works for you. If it doesn't, switch it up, try it on some other runs until you get it right. But as Steve said, there is no excuse for trying something new on race day and having, having it blow up in your face. That is a silly famous last word <laughs> yeah i just thought i'd start with the rookie mistakes just in case we've got a few rookies out there sure <laughs> so this one i'm gonna i'll go next and this one's kind of a hot topic because well no pun intended although the pun works famous last words i just looked at the weather and we are totally fucked <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> chicago is notorious for this as one example because it's been warm many of the last several years Going into Chicago where people start to watch that w their weather app, you know, 14 or 10 days out from race day and start to get really, really nervous and concerned about it being too hot. And while that's important thing to kind of think about and consider as it relates to your race plan, it's nothing to freak out about, right? What we like to say is, you know, talk to your coach and make the appropriate adjustments for some people you're gonna have to make a decision do i still go for it mm -hmm. do i still kind of give it all and, and stick with my original plan if the weather's a little bit warm and some people that decision will be based on how they've typically done the heat or maybe how bad they want their goal or maybe how little they fear failure or you know how much or little they have to worry about that outcome as it relates to how the weather might affect them but Think about it, make a decision with your coach, and either adjust or don't adjust your plan accordingly, but don't sit there and worry about it. This is not something you can control. Focus on what you can control, adjust your plan or don't, and then go execute it no matter what the weather says. I will say, for me, I do use some rules of thumb here as a coach, at least as it relates to adjusting your plan. So when the weather is north of 55 I tell people at the start, I tell people that a, a decent rule of thumb is adjust your goal pace mile, you know, pace per mile 
by 10 seconds per mile for every five degrees over 55. So if it's 60, you adjust 10 seconds a mile, 65, 20, 70, 30 from that start time temperature, at least for the early miles until you know how it's going to affect you. That's if you're going to adjust. But I can also argue for certain athletes who are not affected by the heat as much, you don't adjust. You go for it anyway. But that's it. Control what you can control. Don't worry about the weather. That's my famous last word, Steve. Well, I'm going to keep on with the weather theme since um, we've all, all, everybody's been running through terrible, hot summer conditions. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip it to the other side, Chris. And we've gone through a hot when training, uh, summer of training, probably no matter where you are in the United States. And certainly if you're listening to us from Baghdad, as we now know we have a few Baghdad listeners, you've been running in the heat. And so sometimes people will get to a weather, a race, and it'll be like 50, 55 degrees and have this to say. I felt so good in the first five miles. The weather was so cool and the energy of crowds had me all pumped up, so I just went with it. Those are famous last words, Chris. Famous last words. <laughs> you, you, you make that decision to jettison a plan and to, to overlook all the training that you've done. You have not listened to any of our mental training techniques that we've been discussing on these podcasts. You, you have a strategy. You've trained for a certain pace. Stick to the race plan. In no scenario ever is there going to be good enough weather conditions for you to just go with it. To just decide after five miles that you're just going to go with it with the flow and run based on energy because I guarantee what's going to happen is you're going to be at that five you're going to be at that half marathon position two minutes three minutes maybe in some cases five minutes faster than you wanted to be or that you had planned to be and Chris we got a rule at Rogue it's called the it's the times three rule that you will you whatever happens if you run that first mile and you're that first half marathon and you're a minute ahead of what you're hoping to run. I guarantee you'll run three minutes slower at the finish. I don't care what the weather conditions are. Assuming you didn't plan for that. If you're two minutes fast at the at the half marathon point, you're probably going to end up six minutes slow. And if you're stupid enough to go five minutes faster at the half marathon than you thought, than you had planned, than you knew that your fitness was able to do because you just decided to wing it and go on energy and feel the crowds, you're going to be upwards of 15 minutes slower for your marathon goal time. And those... Folks, those numbers I am not making up just to try to make just to try to get your attention. We have seen it happen over and over again. And in some cases, Chris, this is this is sort of conservative in the way that it plays out. Because some of these races how many times have we been at races recently? Chicago, one in case in point, fifty five degrees at the start line where somebody might not make any of those adjustments, but it ends up at eight it ends up at eighty degrees at the finish line. We've seen that two, three times now. Chicago's been known for this kind of scenario where we don't predict it. And so, hey folks, Follow your plan. Don't change your plan based on a good weather conditions. Follow and execute the plan. Yeah, and don't get over ex- overly excited. I know because I just looked up the data before we started this that if you look at the world records, all of them, the last three at least, and I think if you looked further back, you'd see this as well, are run on either slightly negative or even splits. Mm-hmm. Cometo ran and actually had a pretty big negative split. He ran just over 
30 second, 33 second negative split from first half to second half to get the That's current. pretty big for the best in the world. Yeah, yes. and for those paces to get his world record, which some people indicated meant there was more to be had. He could have probably run faster that day had he gone just a little bit faster on the first half. Then Kip Singh's world record before that was a positive split, but by 13 seconds. So basically an even split. And then Patrick McCow, who set the world record before Kip Singh, was a positive split by nine seconds, eight seconds. So basically even split. Even splits, yeah. So the moral of the story is you don't bank time, you bank energy. Save it for the end. There are still coaches out there, Chris, suggesting a bank for people. And I just, I, when, I, when I hear that, I'm just like, I, in no scenario, I mean, it, I would, if, if I were given the choice, I would tell people to try to shoot for a five-minute negative split over a two-minute positive split <laughs> bank time. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Optimally, we, do what, we try to get our, our athletes to do this just right, is they time it just right for them to have their fitness designed, they know where their current fitness is, create a plan that indicates that, and execute it so that you get a near-even split race or at least an even split between your first and your second half, depending on how you run it. Um, very hard to do, but certainly one of the goals that we try to aspire to. Okay, next one I'll go. So famous last words. My Garmin said I was running 1430s and then 445 and then 1430s again, but I know I wasn't running 1430 pace. I kept speeding up and slowing down and just couldn't find a rhythm. Chicago is notorious for this because you go through that early tunnel and then you're in, you're running amidst the buildings, tall downtown buildings where the satellite connection isn't strong. So your Garmin is going to be wrong, period, for the first three, four miles. And most people don't think about that and they freak out as a result. Or if you're doing New York, potentially the same thing could be happening at certain points in that race. So this is what I tell my runners is that you shouldn't rely on the GPS of your GPS in your marathon. You are running on a measured course <laughs> with marked and measured checkpoints every mile. You don't actually need your Garmin to tell you when you've run a mile. The course is going to tell you. So turn off the damn GPS. You can turn off the satellite connection and then lap your watch every mile and you'll know exactly how fast you're running at those points that does two things one it keeps you from being obsessed about your pace at every moment it allows you to focus and find a rhythm within that mile and two it allows you to know exactly where you are on the measured course because the other part of the garmin issue is that because you're not running perfect tangents you're going to be slightly off your watch is going to be slightly off the total distance at the end and if you're reliant on that to measure you it's going to be wrong. Absolutely. And we know this too, Chris, that if you're also, if you're looking up at the clocks that are on the course, those are, they're, they're never right for anybody. You know what I mean? If they, if you see a, a clock on a course, it is not indicated for you in any way, right. shape or form. So come on folks, you don't need the fancy, your, your watch, even your fancy super Phoenix Garmin has got the capability of going to an old school analog program of click, 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 and you doing the work. And hopefully you practice some of that during your, your training. Um, 
it's hard to do that for many of us because we don't have measured marked courses which with mile markers at each set location. But, but, but you can you go can to a track. It. If you do a track workout, learn to lap your watch. It's super simple. You just hit Instead split. of worrying yep. about what the Garmin pace says. Right, here's another one. This one's great for Chicago. I really wanted to get under 330 at Chicago. And they have these awesome Nike Plus Run Club pacers. I'm going to just lock and load with them, and they'll lead me right to the finish line with time to spare. Famous last words. <laughs> This oh, one, this one is another rookie one. But I even even experienced runners, even my team rogue athletes who I've been coaching for five six years, I'm still in the process of trying to get them to not count on pace groups. And folks, there's a reason why we don't count on pace groups. It's not because these aren't good people. It's not because these people are inexperienced at what they're doing. Hell, one of my athletes is a Nike run group pace leader, and she's a freaking rock star. She gets it done. She's on pace all the time. The thing is, is that some of these races, they've got a different objective. They've got different pacing that they've got planned. Some of them are an even split. Some of them are trying to run the best time for that course. And guess what? The other thing that's really key into this, human fucking error. People make mistakes. People who are pacers are not used to running the paces that they're running. They're almost all faster than the pace group they're leading and they don't have a facility or an ease at running these paces another one of my athletes paced the austin marathon and for the first time this year he said it's the hardest thing that he's ever done in his life was doing the prep and the pacing for it and he said he did a decent job on the pacing but that day was a super hot day in austin but he lost his pace group other person in his group it can be a hot day no matter what happens you can't count on these people folks you did your training you did all the work. You followed a plan with your coach. You know what you're trying to execute. Don't leave it to some other jack wagon out there who doesn't know exactly what they're doing, who may not have the same plan that you have. People, do not add the element of human error above and beyond your own human error. That is enough to add to the mix. Yeah, why in the hell would you trust someone you don't know? Exactly. To run your race plan. That's for twenty six point two miles for three hours and thirty minutes. It's crazy. And again, like Steve said, not that these are bad people. Some of them do a great job. But some of them don't and they make mistakes and you don't know them and you don't what you don't know what their plan is. Now, that being said, you can use them potentially as reference points on the courts to kind of know where you are and to help you dial into your pace, but do not use them as the end all and be all. They will not as this quote said, lead you to the finish line with time to spare. <laughs> it won't happen. Yeah, well, Chris, one of my favorite things to do with my athletes that I know that are fit enough to run the goal time that they want is to ask them to run a pace group back, um, especially in those pace groups that we see at Chicago where we've got these five-minute chunks, which we see frequently like three hours, 305, 310, 315, 320, 325, 330, 335. If you go through the first 10 miles – with that pace group and they're on an even placed splits, you've got plenty of time to turn around, speed up slowly but surely, start running up and try to chase the next pace group. So <coughs> especially those of you who are looking at that at that negative split plan, which many of our first timers or those people who are, are, are relatively new to this mar- to the marathon business, negative splitting is the most assured way of getting what you want, especially if you're pretty solidly comfortable at the at, that you're going to hit the time that you want to hit. Um, those of you who are more conservative in your approach and know that you're in, say, 330 shape, um, but you want to go out conservatively, run with a 335 pace group, and you'll only be, what, a minute and a half down at the most by the halfway mark, depending on how you've adjusted for that. Go with them for the first 10 miles, assure that you're in a good spot, and then slowly move up the race course. 
Trust yourself, not the Pacers. All right, I got one. This one's pretty straightforward, or at least on paper it would seem. I skipped my gel at mile 12 because I didn't need it. (laughs) 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 The funny part is that I laugh, but this isn't really funny, is because I heard this one. This is like not a paraphrased quote. Like I've literally heard this exact quote from an athlete who was trying to possibly qualify in a race. He ended up a couple minutes shy of that goal because he did just this. (laughs) He skipped his gel at mile 12 because he didn't need it. And by the way, or he thought he didn't need it. And by the way, this wasn't a rookie. This wasn't a guy running his second, third, fourth, or fifth marathon. This was a guy who'd run tens upon 20, like 20-something marathons. (laughs) He was a veteran. He knew better. And yet he still (laughs) made this mistake. So... Famous last famous words. Famous last words. We want to reiterate. Hey, once you have a plan, not only from a pacing standpoint, but from a nutrition standpoint, follow it no matter how you feel. I like to tell my athletes to write down their nutrition plan. Write it down. Use pen and paper. Commit it to memory. Write it on your arm if you have to. And then follow it no matter what. All right. One more, Chris, for me. This is my final one. All right. All right. What the hell? My Garmin reached 26.7 miles, and I missed my goal by two minutes. What the hell happened? Folks, and this is a Chicago all the way. This course loops and turns and laughs and writes. Yes, it's flat as a pancake. But, folks, you have so many. Chris already articulated part of the problems that we have in Chicago and that the Garmin is off right off the bat by having the tunnel and the numbers of people and the start and finish at a common location. There are hundreds of thousands of people down in that downtown area at that time. The same, similar things happen at Boston out on Staten Island. I mean, out at New York on Staten Island with the ferry and everything else. You can't count on that Garmin to read correctly. Even if, in the case of the smaller races like a Twin Cities or a Columbus or some of these other races that folks are running, um, you can't get the tangents right. These courses are measured for the elite athletes to ensure that they are no chance of running 26.5 miles. Oh, sorry, 26.1 miles. They have it guaranteed that they're not going to run 26.1 miles. They would prefer you to run 26.3 miles than to run 26.1. So, and uh, and they've got the chance to close the roads. We've seen this, Chris. We've been part of this race, re- these race crews. We know they're sometimes these big races have a line. You can see it in the middle of the race course, painted a certain color. That is the shortest route from place to place. And if you're running at the 315, 320, 334 hour, 430, 5 hour pace pace time, there is absolutely zero percent chance you're going to be able to run on that tangent line. So you are going to run at least 26.5 miles. In some cases, 20. And, and as the slower runners know this, they're going to run even further. So you have to take that plan into a effect, take that, take that eventuality into your planning and be sure that you've got yourself a little window of cushion throughout this race to be sure that you can account for that amount of time. Because half a mile for many of you is going to be in the vicinity of three, four, five miles, a three, four, five minutes. That's huge. That's a big change in terms of what your goal is. So you need to be prepared, number one, to run the tangents to the best of your ability wherever you're at. A lot of that is, Chris, just looking up, seeing if you can see where the next turn is. Chicago's got some great ways to do this. Some of the other races, of course, they've got ways to do it. You can get your head up. Don't look down on the ground. Look up and try to cut off and cut your tangents. 
again, it's harder with these bigger races with people in the back. A better plan of attack is to account for it and build in a little window where you know that you're able to account for the fact that you're running further than 26.2 miles. Okay, we'll end it with this one because I hear this maybe most frequently, especially for those athletes that actually executed their plan and maybe even ran a solid race and had a good time. But they'll say this. They'll say, I just know I could have run faster. (laughs) I just know I could have run faster. And to me, there's a couple different ways that could manifest. One could be, you know, perhaps in plan execution where somebody decides at mile 17 or 18 that, hey, I feel good. I'm going to pick it up now instead of waiting till the final four miles to close it out. And as a result, they kind of burn their matches too soon. That can happen if you give too much too soon. Or if, as Steve alluded earlier, you go too, you do too much in the first five miles so you don't have that close at the end. So you can make the mistake and not have what you want at the end by poor, a poorly executed plan. But if you've executed your plan the right way and you've done your work to be in position to get your goal or to maximize your potential at mile 22 to 26, if you're ready for it and you're there in the right time, then it's the mental work that we talked about. We just finished our series on mental training. Episode 40 ended that. If you haven't listened to it, listen to it again and go back in the series and and prepare yourself. Do the visualization. Develop the mantras built on your purpose so that when you get to those final three, four miles, or maybe even it's the last one or two miles for some of you, you are ready to empty the tank and leave it all out there. There should be no regrets at the end. And if you have regrets, it's perhaps because you haven't done your mental training homework to prepare for those final miles. When we know the monster comes, the ghosts and the zombies We'll be, we'll be out. <laughs> yes, they will. Right? For sure. You know, I like to say with this one, Chris, it's an old cliche, day late, dollar short. And uh, athletes get mad at me when I say that, but I'm like, coulda, woulda, shoulda, day late, dollar short. Like, producer perish. Let's see the results. I don't know. I don't, I don't, give, I don't really care about it. Now, that sounds cruel, but what, it, what, it, what we're trying to do is to say a plan, account, and take full responsibility. That's one of the things we talk about in our mental training tips um, a couple of times is that that need for you to take full responsibility for the things that happen to you and be ready to to have a problem-solving attitude to overcoming them and um, again this just says to folks if you've got a little window of time over the next couple of weeks as you're preparing for this race and if this race matters to you take a little time and go back maybe listen to our, our Boston um, race preview where we talk about some of these things not quite in the same humorous manner go back and listen to maybe some of our our mental training plans in terms of ways to set yourself up for success um and and do a little homework so that you can stand on that starting line having a great experience knowing you're ready to go and that you're going to have the best day you can possibly have regardless of the circumstances there are lots of things you cannot control on race day weather being one we've already talked about but the effort you could commit and give to the finish line is one of those things you can control. So we urge you to control it and to give everything you have. And we would love to hear stories and examples of marathons, ex- marathon experiences from those who may have listened to this and 
gotten a little nugget they were able to use on their race day that would be extremely fun and satisfying for us and something we'd love to share on the air so do please share your success stories based on some tips you've learned from our podcast if you have them you can always send them to me at Chris at Rogue Running or to Steve directly, Steve Sisson at RogueRunning.com. So there you go. That's our fall marathon kind of preview. You've got what you need to know about Berlin and Chicago, and then you have what you need to know to avoid making the mistakes we've heard so often for your marathon. So with that, we'll wrap this episode as the train kind of rings us out there in the <laughs> background. So thanks. And of course, as always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Twitter and Instagram at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you then.